Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening. Thanks for coming tonight. The few of you, the few of the proud who made it. This is the May 29, 2019 meeting of the Astoria City Council. And uh, roll call, Mr. Pearson. Councilor Herman. Here. Councilor Bronson. Here. Councilor West. Here. Councilor Rocca. Present. And Mayor Jones. Here. Uh, we'll begin tonight with a uh, presentation from Ken Schunkweiler from ODOT, who's going to talk to us about the All Roads Transportation System Project. Thank you. Uh, Ken Schunkweiler, I'm at 14268th Street, and uh, I work here in Astoria, and I'm happy to kind of give you guys an update on this project. Uh, I know I came and did this, gosh, uh, last year, roughly at this time, um, but there are some new faces on the council. So uh, Brett and Nathan and Jeff and I thought it'd be great to update you guys all on the project to familiarize you with it, and then kind of tell you our tell you where we're at as far as like the funding cycle goes. Any questions before I forget? For before I forget? Before, before I forget. So, as Brett mentioned, uh, last year we started putting together projects for our 2021-2024 statewide, statewide transportation improvement plan. Uh, what that is, is basically our four-year capital project list. It's what we, we figured out years in advance. Um, a lot of the projects are scored competitively, whether they be pavement repair or bridge repair. Um, in this case, the project is safety related. Uh, and then, long story short, we put this list together, we whittle it down a time once more till we get to what is called our 100% list. And then we, we usually, two years before that, uh, we come out with our final list and we go around to the public. Um, this project has been, I guess, a point of interest to the council and the city staff. Uh, Jeff and Nathan and I, uh, conceptually came together and pulled this project out of the city's transportation system plan um, a year and a half ago, I think. Uh, and I'm here to just tell you where we're at and how we're going to move forward. Um, so identifying the project. How did we how did we come up with this project? Right? So uh, you had a quick briefing in an email uh, from Jeff last week but long story short, the project would uh, reduce the number of travel lanes between 8th and uh, essentially the bridge, um, add bike facilities, improve crossings, uh, and mitigate crashes along the corridor. Uh, this is one of our higher crash corridors in the entirety of Region 2, so the 14 counties in Northwest Oregon. Uh, and when we were initially at ODOT internally trying to look at and see what kind of a project we can put together to mitigate this. Uh, there was one in the city's transportation system plan right off the bat. Uh, this project, it's kind of hard to see on this list, but it's in the TSP, and please stop me if you have any questions on the acronyms. We ODOT planners are really good at putting a ton of words into one sentence and we do that through acronyms for the most part. Um, this project would 
or showed support for reducing the number of lanes on US 30 uh, between Columbia and roughly 7th and 8th Street, uh, adding bike facilities, and then improving the crossings throughout the corridor so people in basically where Uniontown is kind of beginning um, can cross safely and can make the turns into the access points uh, in a safe manner. Um, the concept in the TSP was for a road reconfiguration, and this graphic on the left part of the screen gives you a brief idea of what that can look like. I would like to remind you that this is not what the entirety of the corridor would look like. Uh, we have some width opportunities that we can keep some travel lanes closer to the bridge and closer to the Columbia intersection. Uh, but from 2nd Street to about 7th and 8th, as we scope this project, uh, that's more or less what the reconfiguration would look like. We'd be taking the four travel lanes, um, adding the bike lane, keeping two travel lanes in each direction, and then a, what's called a two-way left turn lane or a center turn lane, so vehicles can get out of the travel lane uh, and make turns into various access points in a safe manner. Um, I know in the 2013 TSP, there, this project was passed uh, with a short-term likely funded status, meaning that there was uh, some urgency from the community to have ODOT do this to the facility. Uh, there are some state laws that we have to abide by, um, such as ORS 366.215, where we have to make sure that our highways operate within the capacity requirements outlined in the Oregon Highway Plan. Uh, we for lack of a better term, lucked out that there was a concurrent project going on uh, in the Uniontown uh, reborn plan from basically the bridge to the roundabout, uh, where we were able to tag on some traffic analysis work onto that project, uh, not have to start a whole new contract, and have the consultant do traffic counts and make sure that the intersections operated within the Oregon Highway Plan. We just found out this past month that uh, they do. So they're in peak hours, there is the potential to experience delay. Um, I definitely don't want to tell you otherwise, but the improvements to general safety, uh, pedestrian connectivity, and bike movement in the corridor was something that the city had a lot of support for back in 2013. Um, so when I said, when I started talking about associated bike, pedestrian and bicycle enhancements, uh, what I'm specifically mentioning are things such as rectangular rapid flashing beacons. Um, we'd like to update the one that is essentially right underneath the bridge at Bay Street. Uh, add one at second and then improve the one with lights uh, and possibly a center refuge for people who need a little bit extra time to make the movement across all of the lanes of traffic. Um, so more or less, it would kind of look like this picture here, right? So you'd have an enhanced lighted system for pedestrians to activate and make the movement in a more safe manner. Um, I'm gonna briefly go through these, but there was a lot of stakeholder input during the TSP process. This was back when, this was back before Bond Street was opened, 
right? So that was at a time when the main route to get east and west in town was US 30. Um, there, there was kind of a if and shall win situation that happened and so once bond was opened you know this is something that the city would end up supporting a little bit more because it essentially provides alternate ways for people to go east and west um, the tsp begged the question can the road reconfiguration be continued further west and that's what the union town reward plan is looking at uh, right now Um, and last, I guess my last little tidbit on this slide was that the general consensus was at the time of the transportation system plan development was that uh, they were okay with accepting some delay to a degree in order to get those kinds of improvements to the core form. So next steps. Uh, this brings us to the present time. So last year when I came and talked to the council about this project, uh, the council was supportive and us looking into it a little bit more. We knew we needed to do some of the traffic research to make sure that our intersections could operate appropriately. Um, and we just needed to scope the project, right? So there was support from the city for a land reconfiguration, but we really didn't know if it would fit in the right of way. Right? So if we were talking about expanding roadbed road bed widths, uh, any kind of right of way, major right of way purchase like that, uh, it was going to be out of the budget of the project. Um, so last year we submitted for the project. We are currently waiting on that 100 list to come out, uh, which is the final work plan to go out for review to the general public that's supposed to come out this summer. Um, but this project scored very well. Uh, it was a very competitive project in the all roads transportation uh, safety plan or safety program. The uh, and I'll talk about some of the crash problems and how that uh, basically pans out in the application process in just a second. Um, but once again, so the project was programmed for two million in STEM. Uh, the purpose was to reconfigure the roadway to mitigate angle crashes and rear end crashes, as well as pedestrian crashes, um, and then enhance the bike and bed network. So the arts program uh, is based 100% on crash data. Uh, it's a jurisdictionally blind program, so anybody can apply on any system. and. What you have to do in the application process is demonstrate that your countermeasure in your project can effectively reduce crashes. Um, this isn't just because that is one of the goals of the Oregon Department of Transportation. It's also a federal requirement uh, from the Bill Map 21 that requires states to establish performance targets and program our construction projects in a way that we are meeting those targets and reducing crashes on our facilities. Uh, so, if we were to talk some specifics in the corridor, from 2012 to 2016, uh, there were 118 crashes. 51% of those were rear-end crashes. Uh, 17 were angle crashes. So basically vehicles trying to cross multiple lanes of traffic to get into the businesses and accesses. Um, and there were 11 pedestrian crashes, two of which were injury related. 
Uh, I mentioned earlier, but that this is one of the highest pedestrian crash corridors in Region 2. And one of the reasons is, is that there are so few places in the corridor to actually cross and to do it safely. Uh, from 6th Street to pretty much Columbia, um, you have a long, wide open stretch where there, is, there are land use options on both sides of the corridor that people access for work or business or even travel um, for the hotels. And they don't have very many options, and sometimes they make decisions where they just cross at random. You see a lot of the pedestrian crashes when we plot them on a map that are uh, not only within some of the crosswalks, but also outside where people are trying to cross at random. So, uh, I'll give you a, so some other tidbits about this project. Um, that two million would cover essentially the striping, uh, median islands at the crosswalks, um, ADA ramp improvements at all the cor corners on the intersections, uh, and then possibly extend the project limits to 8th Street. We have to do some more investigation on this and how that would impact traffic, uh, but reducing essentially the 8th Street intersection to one lane on Marine has the opportunity to reduce crash conflicts between turning trucks and vehicles. Uh, trucks, especially the larger variety, have to get in the center lane, block both lanes, and make the movement on their own and hope that nobody's passing them on each side of the lanes. Um, but we're still working on that. I'll keep you updated as we get more information on that project. Uh, I'd like to follow up with just a general overview of the schedule. I gave you guys a brief rundown at the beginning, but uh, we finished scoping the project, so we pulled a team of, uh, I should say it was 16 ODOT professionals um, out of headquarters and Area 1 in the Story office. Uh, we walked the corridor, we did some participant observation, we reviewed a lot of the crash data, uh, we reviewed the right-of-way widths to make sure that this would fit, and. As of now, it's a viable project in the running for our 21-24 step. Um, so, with that, I know I just gave you a ton of information, but I am available to take any questions or comments. Um, I have some questions. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll ask the the easier ones first. Um, the bike lanes, would those be on both sides of Highway 30? They would be on both sides. Okay, great. And they'd be obviously clearly striped and marked? They would be striped and marked. I'm still working on, uh, you know, we have some ODOT policies that make it kind of difficult for us to add sharrows on our facilities right now. Add what? Sharrows, which are, uh, or the, the bike stencil as well, too. Um, it technically wouldn't be a sharrow since it is a dedicated bike lane. But I'd like to actually get some stenciling for the bike lanes at some point. That would be great, just so it's obvious to motorists, primarily. Um, and then I was curious, you mentioned that the pedestrian crossings would have flashing beacons. Mm -hmm. Would those be in the pavement? Or where how, Where would the lights be? They would be uh, on the corners of the ADA ramps so they could be accessible. Okay. Because I personally would never cross 
uh, US 30 in the region that you're talking about, just because it's not safe. And I'm concerned, I, I lived in uh, Longview, which has a very busy corridor running right through the center of town. And after a pedestrian fatality there, they had um, flashing beacons installed in the pavement, and it made a huge difference. They're so much more visible than having flashing lights on the edges of the corners. I just don't know how much motorists would notice those after a while, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, that's a great perspective, and I really appreciate the feedback. Um, yeah, I... Um, Mayor, can I have a follow-up question to that? Sure. Mr. Schoenkweiler, is it correct that ODOT does not have a standard for eliminating the crosswalks with the lights that uh, the councilor mentioned in Longview. That's where the, the crosswalk actually flashes. It does. Um, so and oh, that's, okay. that's yeah, what yeah, she's yeah. referring to. We Okay, so now that I understand, I, I'm not exactly familiar with the area. Uh, we currently do not have a standard for that. Um, this project scoped for the 21-24 step later in the cycle. It would be absolutely wonderful if we had some kind of policy moving forward <coughs> that would support something like that. Um, but as of right now, it's not something that we're necessarily doing on our highway. Okay. Otherwise, I, I, I personally would not feel safe crossing, and I'm guessing other pedestrians wouldn't either. Um, so it just makes sense if we're going to spend that kind of money. I mean, we're all taxpayers, obviously, in the state. Sure. To provide the most visible form of notice to motorists you know, who are paying attention to so many different things. Just as they're going down the street, many of the people who drive through here aren't familiar with the roadway anyway, so. I, I agree, it's something I'll add to our notes. Yeah, and then the big question, which I'm sure has been brought up by former <coughs> counselors, um, I love the idea of widening the lanes and having a center turn lane to make, I guess, to make people slow down, but I'm concerned with our very congested highway, as it is in the summer, it's only going to get worse if we reduce the lanes, isn't it? Well, it, it depends on... So when we plan for traffic improvements, we look at a metric known as the 30th highest hour. No, nobody in the country plans for the, the worst peak seasonal hour. Uh, because then you would have a very overbuilt system that would be vacant for most of the year. So we look at the 30th highest hour below that. Uh, when we looked at a lot of the traffic analysis, we realized that the average traffic in Astoria really has not gone up since 2013. What we do, the phenomenon that we experience, and really everywhere on the Oregon coast, especially in the North Coast right now, experiences is that our traffic has pretty much remained flat, uh, but our peaks have gotten higher. So you can have a festival at a brewery in town, and there can be a festival in the seaside, and another festival in Cannon Beach, and then all of a sudden, uh, one particular weekend out of the year, your highway is very congested. But um, it's three months out of the year. It is, yeah. Particularly on the weekends, and you know, obviously June, July, and August. Yeah, that is, a, that is a valid concern. There would be some delay. I would add that there, right now, um, are few accommodations for any other kind of movement throughout the corridor, whether it be walking or cycling. Um, 
we have what I would call the fearless rider scenario on US 30, where only a very, very <coughs> person rides their bike up and down. Um, and a lot of people do them on the sidewalk, which creates bike and pet conflicts. Um, I would like to think that if we gave people a more accessible way to access Union Town through multimodal infrastructure, that we could provide transportation options for everyone. I, I love that idea. I just know that a lot of people driving through in the summer are tourists heading to the beach, so they're in their cars. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm a big proponent of cycling and um, alternative forms of transportation, but I am concerned about the potential congestion that this could cause. So, but thank you for answering my questions. Of course. Yeah, my, I had a question kind of along the lines of Councillor Herman. So when you guys were looking at the um, whether or not this would comply with uh, what's called the Oregon Highway Plan, that was in the data coming from traffic studies done in 2013. Is that correct? No. Um, okay. The data is coming from updated traffic counts that we did as part of the Union Town Reborn Plan. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And you found that the traffic has not increased, I mean, you said 2013 to... I should probably clarify when I say the average traffic flow has not increased. And if anything, when we've done some modeling work uh, with Bond Street opening up, it even dropped it a little bit. Okay. Um, but. I shouldn't phrase it as traffic has not increased, but the average hour has remained the same. And do you guys, if you're if you're not necessarily looking at peak traffic congestion, which makes sense that you wouldn't develop a plan for that, because like you said, everything would be overbuilt. Um, I'm just wondering if uh, if you look at whether or not those peaks are longer or higher, um, if, if that data is, is being considered at all, or, or if it is really only looking at kind of the average? Well, the, the 30th highest hour is peak hour, you know, 5 o'clock, everybody's out of work, um, trying to rush home. Um, modeling for peaks, we, I mean, we, we count cars all year round. We have vehicle traffic data from um, even from some stoplights in Astoria. Uh, what we did was take a look at in the Uniontown Reborn Plan, trying to, not to get too technical, but uh, we looked at 48 hour counts, uh -huh. so and then took the average from that. So it's not just a single day. We're looking to see what the peak hour is repeatedly throughout the week. Um, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie, like sometimes there will be some added congestion. I think when they modeled it in 2013, uh, using some of the, well, basically the same vehicle number, vehicle data numbers as now, um, was 20 seconds of delay in the peak hour on occasion. Do you remember that, Nathan? I don't recall it. That, that does sound familiar. Yeah. yeah. I, could, I could pull that information in. Did you guys in an email or? Yeah, and if you have, if, you, if there's somewhere on the ODOT website where maybe I could do a little more research on how that data is pulled, just in general, like uh, the kinds of things that ODOT looks at, that would be great. Sure. Just to do a little more work. 
Yeah, I'll try not to overwhelm you. That's okay. <laughs> but it's, uh, we, we can take anything and make it as complicated as anything else. So, uh, we, I read the full report, Jefferson, and I agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we we uh, tend to overanalyze in, in some people's opinions. So. Any other questions? Yeah, I have, I have a somewhat different view from my, from my colleagues. Uh, Uniontown is, is in my ward, and uh, I'm hopeful, actually, that that configuration, which I love, can continue through Uniontown and all the way to the bridge. Um, several reasons. One, no matter which way you're coming from or going from Astoria, you're coming from or going on a two-lane road or a two-lane bridge, so we have, in some cases, a little speedway in the middle. The, what I hear most often from people in Uniontown is about speeds, traffic speeds, about clearance for parked cars. And I can say, having come out of a meeting at night trying to get into my car along the side of the road and having vehicles going by at what feels like 50 some nights, um, it's pretty scary. The, uh, the, it would, your three-lane proposal would alleviate a lot of that and also alleviate the problem of crossing the streets. And I would hope it can continue to the bridge because there's also a place where you can see some hair-raising turns where the, uh, the coffee stand is and those other shops where there is really no turn lane but people do anyway, the traffic that's, uh, that's southbound. So I think that would be a, a something that, granted, it may, it may slow traffic somewhat, but some of the slowing now is because of people turning where they shouldn't. Uh, stopping a lane to turn, so I'm, I'm not sure the effect would be that great. And I'm hopeful. I think on balance, I think that would, would, would be the greater good for the most people. I hope it, it, it can happen. Thanks, Frederick. Uh, if I could add to that too, uh, and I can send out a more somewhat detailed description of some of our scoping notes. But that three-lane section, uh, which, as you brought up, is the exact same configuration on the east end of town and on US 30 in Astoria uh, is really just from 2nd Street to about 7th and 8th. Uh, we figured out a way to uh, essentially provide two westbound lanes within the existing right-of-way width uh, from 2nd to the bridge um, and then still be able to add uh, bike lanes and a center turn lane for vehicles. Uh, so it's I definitely do not want to give the impression that it's that three-lane cross-section all the way through. Uh, what we're really trying to do is focus on crash mitigation and then improve safety for pedestrians and bicycles throughout the corridor. Um, and we've managed to do that thus far by uh, balancing a configuration that allows traffic to still move within our guidelines. That last clarification is really helpful. And thank you. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I think it's important to realize that, yes, this is, would look more like around 23rd Street to 25th Street, um, from that 2nd Street to 8th. Yeah, just one other quick question. I wonder if it was has looked at all at uh, an intersection that I think you know, a lot in the city are concerned about now, and that is the, the area where the new uh, grocery store is going in. Um, is there any mitigation for what's going to happen there with the additional left turns? So we 
this could be a, a whole other council session. <laughs> um, uh, long story short, uh, both Jeff, Nathan, myself, and some of our traffic engineers in Salem all reviewed the TIA, uh, the transportation impact analysis that that development would have on the intersection. Um, and there are multiple ways to access it. Uh, yes, a lot of the traffic is probably going to make it on 23rd Street, but there wasn't an ideal mitigation for the uh, for the turning movement that was feasible, more or less, uh, to put in. So, I'd really, I'd love to follow up with you on this a little bit more if you have more questions, and I can. Shoot you my contact info. Uh, but any other questions about the? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, maybe just more of a comment than a question, though, uh, because I, I agree with Roger. Um, because I've had a lot more time to think about this because I was there for your original presentation, and, and I, I had that sort of initial concern about removing lanes and uh, potentially causing things to slow down or in a, in a way that wouldn't be favorable but um, thinking about it I think you're I think you're right you know the left hand turn lane goes a long way it stops people holding <coughs> up traffic um, and I'm not particularly against things slowing down a little bit what I what I hope is addressed in a really positive way between this and the combination of the Uniontown Reborn project and tying that all together, it's the flow. Whether it's slow or fast doesn't make any difference to me as long as it keeps moving. Sure. And and that's where things get tied up. I know at the east end, you know, people complain about that. It's usually because things just kind of get stuck. You, the lights don't sink. Things get backed up because I, as soon as they hit downtown, coming from that direction, things just kind of start flowing again. So something is a little jogged there. And of course, down at this end, we have that whole light configuration at, current, at the bridge. Um, that impacts it between that and the one at Columbia, is it Columbia there. Yeah, um, the five-legged intersection. Yeah, so to be able to, while doing this, put in an improved flow through there would make all the difference to me. So. Uh, I see so many issues with, with people turning on to that, turning off it, that <coughs> would make a huge difference. Um, so that's my comment. And um, timing-wise, too, with the Uniontown Reborn project, this sounds like if this get, this is still an if, if this gets approved for funding, mm -hmm. um, then it would be kind of a continuous, potentially a continuous operation with the Uniontown project time timeline wise, pretty close. You know, I think we really lucked out in this situation because uh, planning and project delivery never end up going hand in hand like this. Right. We're in a timeline that usually makes sense. Um, I don't know that really anybody planned it out that way, to be honest. But it just so happened that, yeah, Boone City did their 2013 TSP and called for support for this project. Um, the Uniontown TS, the west of the bridge, was still kind of fuzzy as far as what the preferred cross-section would look like. Um, and so that's what the Uniontown Reborn Plan is tackling. Uh, that plan is going to finish up this year. 
So we would have a clear picture of the community wants and needs on how we need to tie this project into that project. Because that's other thing about slowing down when you're talking about crosswalks hazards too. We have that narrowed down, slow down, and improved crosswalk with an island stop. There are McDonald's that would make a huge difference. And that's where we have some in, in walkway acts, pedestrian issues. Um, so I think that's great. And I'm really interested in the ongoing discussion about 8th Street and what, what can be done to fix that. Um, again, it's part of flow. And I guess if we have a single lane coming into it, keeping it a single lane through those turns, breaking commercial makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and giving better turning, as well as looking at um, commercial in front of the post office and how that's, that traffic moving in and how that's configured that in relation to uh, to that turn too because again we have that turn coming in and those two inputs there so it'll be interesting to see if you can come up with a, a nice nice plan to clean that up as well um, and I'd love to have the ongoing discussion. I'll sit down with you and Roger and talk about <laughs> over this other end because not only do we have a supermarket there, but when that those other buildings get sold and somebody decides to put a business on that island in between all that, it just it looks like just a worry, worry a place to worry about overall for, for impact. So um, and again, I would talk about the east side too, but again, this is not so much the speed to me, it's the flow issue. Mm -hmm. And if there's ways to improve the flow coming into downtown, I think we, we come out ahead on that. Uh, so again, I don't mind going slow. In fact, I've got a lot of ways to work around going slow. But I want it safe and I want it to continue to move. Thank you. Yeah, we, we're lucky in Oregon that we have a pretty um, unique land use system that prioritizes high-speed flows outside of urban boundaries. Um, so we do a lot to keep our speed limits, you know, outside of urban growth boundaries at an appropriate level um, where applicable. And inside of cities, we try to accommodate a more multimodal infrastructure that connects the town. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, and when you decide to build a bypass, just... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate your work uh, as uh, the data you're using and so on, so thanks. I'll make sure um, I'm in contact with Brett and Nathan and Jeff pretty regularly, so I'll, uh, once we have any big news or, I guess, a path forward with the schedule, I can come back and give you guys an update. <coughs> thanks, Ken. Appreciate that very much. Thank you. So I guess during those uh, peak hours when the tourists are headed to the coast, uh, we just need to make sure our business owners find a way to capture those people and encourage them to get off the road, go shop at our shops in Astoria, and have a nice meal at one of our Astoria restaurants. Let's make a lemonade out of that lemon, right? Okay, reports of counselors. Councilor Herman. <coughs> well, I was able to attend the meet and greet with the two finalists for the community development director's position on May 8th, and that was very interesting. We have two excellent candidates, so I'm glad that we've made it this far in the process. Um, I met with one of my constituents, who happens to be a housing provider, um, just to learn more about another perspective on 
our housing crisis. I do think it's a crisis. Um, so that was educational for me. Gave me lots to think about and ponder. I attended a really informative historic preservation presentation, actually with Mayor Jones, given by John Goodenberger and Lucian Swerdlow. Um, we're involved with the College's Wonderful Historic Preservation Program. And we oftentimes think of our modern day, you know, 21st century buildings as being the most ecologically friendly and advanced. Um, but they educated us that that's not usually the case if we are willing to restore our existing buildings. Um, when you think, for one, about the quality of wood that goes into building these, that went into building our old homes, much better quality than what you can find today. But anyway, recycling um, to essentially is what we're doing when we restore our homes, our old homes, our old buildings. So that was a really interesting presentation. I always enjoy hearing from those guys. Um, and I got to attend what I consider the opening of summer for Astoria, which is the opening of the um, Sunday market. And it was a beautiful day summery day, relatively speaking, I think in the low to mid-60s. It was sunny and it was packed. So really glad to know that Sunday market is back every week. And just a reminder, because I was interviewing candidates for some of the local special districts in my one or the other hats I wear at KMUN, uh, tomorrow is the election. So don't forget to drop by your ballots by the elections department. Postmarks do not count, so don't stick them in the mail. That's all I have to say. Thank you. That's awesome. yeah, Thank you, Mayor. Um, I don't have too much to report. I was out of town for the last couple of weeks, and I missed some of these uh, events. So uh, sorry to hear that. But looking forward, uh, uh, there's going to be meetings coming Thursday with the city and the county and the other cities. Uh, we're all getting together at McMinimins and uh, get a chance to discuss common issues. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And other than that, I just want to say, also encourage, I'm, I'm sure everybody in here has voted. Anybody not voted? <laughs> I'm just wondering. As of Friday, they had 17%. 17% had voted as of Friday. So, I wish there was a bigger audience of non-voters in front of me to uh, talk more about it. But that's it. Thank you. Thanks. That's um, I voted. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can drop off your ballot um, at the clerk's office, the 820 exchange. If you haven't voted yet, they're open until 8 p.m. tomorrow. Um, I don't feel like I have a whole lot. Um, I my next meet I'm doing another meet and greet at Alderbrook Hall. That's Thursday, June twentieth at four thirty. I'm really enjoying those. So even if you're not in my ward, um, of course you're welcome to come. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Parks and Rec splash in the summer. Um, is it June first? I believe, and I think that I'll be doing. Uh, I think I'm performing at it. I'm, I, I was. I've been talking with um, Bree about that. So that looks like a really incredible uh, event for Parks and Rec. Um, I passed both my FEMA exams, which were pretty difficult, a lot harder than my OLCC service license exams. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, what else? 
Oh, I met with Jim Knight of the port a couple weeks ago and had a really good, we spent the afternoon together just kind of walking around port property and um, me getting a better understanding of kind of where the port is at and some of his visions for uh, the, the direction that, that he would like to see the port go. Um, and I think that's it. I hope, I hope all the moms had a happy Mother's Day. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. Um, after our last meeting, uh, the next day I got on a plane, flew to the East Coast to visit my way too far away daughter, and didn't come back until late Saturday night, so I don't have a whole lot to report. But I did have my date with Jim Knight today and, uh, and tour the port. Um, and, uh, you know, he talked about his hope for that area. And as his plans develop, I encouraged uh, Mr. Knight to. Uh, present them to the council as a design unit development, if possible. So, uh, sort of as was done in the past with Mill Pond, so the council can consider the whole enchilada, all the aspects and all the impacts, all at, all at once, uh, as a whole. So, and that's it. Thank you. Uh, I had a chance Sunday to go to uh, Ocean View Cemetery, and I want to commend. Uh, Mr. Williams' staff and our former fire chief Ted Ames, who is now the—I'm uh, not sure if he's the primary groundskeeper, but he's a, he is the primary groundskeeper now at the cemetery. There was a, a commemoration of a uh, there's a, a grave there which has no markings on it other than a name, but it was uh, the gentleman who was the lo longest-serving keeper of the Tillamook Rock Light uh, for 25 years earlier in the last century, and so the lighthouse. Commemoration Society came and we did a presentation and I, I was one of the half dozen people that spoke and put a little bronze plaque on his tombstone. But it, the point of the comment is that the, the grounds looked very nice out there. I know that's been a challenge and we're lucky to have Ted Ames. Uh, we want to keep working for the uh, city of Astoria as a, as a lawn service person. Saturday night, I, uh, along with Mr. Estes, had the, the honor of attending the fire department's awards banquet. We thank Chief Crutchfield for inviting us and letting us participate in that and seeing the great work that your people do and also seeing the camaraderie that your, uh, your staff enjoys together. Uh, since the last meeting, I also represented the city at the Columbia Pacific Economic Development meeting and the Area Committee on Transportation. These are every two month meetings that occur in various spots in the four county area at which we always have uh, representation. And Columbia Pacific Economic Development particularly does a lot of really good work uh, getting uh, loans and grants out to, to businesses that are struggling when they can't get financing through conventional means and doing a lot of other things to help develop our economy. And I also enjoyed the uh, Historic Preservation Energy Efficiency uh, Lecture with Councillor Herman. And I'm pleased to say I have one of those old houses and uh, so we're, we're being as green as we can by restoring it and also funneling lots of money into our local electricians yeah. and plumbers. Part of the only Astoria-based plumbers and electricians, no, none from Portland. And uh, tomorrow night there's a meeting of the class of county mayors. We're going to get together and talk about some various issues. <clears throat> and uh, that's a couple days before the other uh, county-wide elected official meeting. And then finally, uh, Saturday, Senator Merkley will be coming to Astoria and he'll be having a public uh, town hall meeting at 10 o'clock at Patriot Hall on the gym floor. And, uh, Prior to the 10 o'clock public town hall meeting at 9.30, uh, all of us and other 
elected officials from the area are invited to meet with Senator Merkley at 9.30 on Saturday. Now, Mr. Estes, are there any changes to the agenda? No changes. Uh, consent calendar. Items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the council requests to have an item considered separately. Members of the community may have an item removed if they contact the city manager by 5 p.m. the day of the meeting. Have any items been requested to be removed by the public? <coughs> no citizen request. Uh, councilors, do you wish to remove any items? No. All right. Then uh, maybe we have a motion to approve the consent calendar items A through uh, C. I move we approve. E, sorry. I move we approve the consent calendar. I'll right. second that. Okay, a roll call vote, Mr. Williams. Councilor Rocca? Aye. Councilor West? Here. Councilor Brownson? Aye. Councilor Herman? Aye. And Mayor Jones? Aye. Mr. Estes, does the councilor need to vote aye? She voted here. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, regular uh, agenda items. All agenda items are open for public comment following deliberation by the council. Uh, if an audience member wishes to speak to an item, please raise your hand and you'll be recognized and given uh, three minutes at the podium. Item 7A is resolution to update wage and salary schedules. You may recall at your last meeting, we updated um, one of the uh, salary res resolution wages uh, for the building official code enforcement officer position. This is a similar request tonight for the community development director position. And again, the community development director is a full-time position which has been vacant since October of 2017. And over this time, it's been difficult to attract those fully qualified candidates. Um, as was noted earlier, we're in the middle of a process uh, to uh, recruit uh, some uh, candidates now we had in the meet and greet uh, a couple of weeks ago for those two uh, candidates. What is being brought before you tonight is a change for the community development director position to move from range 51 to 53, effective June 1, 2019. Uh, there is funding available in the current budget due to the vacancy and the recently approved budget for fiscal year 2019, 2020 uh, include uh, this uh, salary range within the budget. I would note that there are a couple other housekeeping items which are included in this uh, salary resolution. There are adjustments to titles uh, which have been made uh, to align with changes in job descriptions that have been made over the years and those are noted on the first page of the memo. So tonight it's recommended that the City Council approve the revised salary range and titles. Well this makes a lot of sense. Um, we, we need to pay our city employees competitive wages or we're not going to be able to keep them. And our department heads been working with them now for um, about five, five plus months. I've been really impressed with everyone to the person and I would hate to lose somebody because we are paying them a little less than another jurisdiction. So I fully support this. I also support this, um, and it's my understanding that this would, this position then would be the highest paid department head. Is that correct? Um, well, I, I wouldn't. It, I will say that there are other variables. Um, there are other um, 
there are other salary positions for both our uh, fire chief and police chief, which there are agreements which the city council has made uh, to where their cost of living adjustments are commensurate with any um, negotiated uh, cost of living adjustments for their respective um, bargaining units. So um, there, there could be some variables there. So. And when I looked at the numbers, um, I mean, it didn't seem like a huge jump. It made a lot of sense to me. And I know, well, I can only imagine how much training is involved. It goes into um, recruiting and retaining employees. And like Joan said, it would be, uh, it's always really unfortunate when you bring someone on and you train them and then you lose them within six months to a year. So. Counselors, what I would note is that this next fiscal year, um, it's anticipated there there will be some additional adjustments that will be made in other positions as well. Um, we're making these changes now and that there are the vacancies in place. Correct. That was reflected in the budget. Right. Thank you. I want to say I, I concur with <coughs> with what uh, uh, Councilor Herman said. Uh, I think we have a really excellent staff right now. I think we're blessed with an excellent staff. We do need to pay competitively. Um, uh, and again, I understand there's some disparity even with between us and the county. And uh, so I think we're moving in the right direction with this. And you know, they put the onus on us to look for other sources of revenue in the future, but, but I think it's something we need to do. Yeah, I think yeah, unless you have any comments, I'd like to make a motion to uh, how would be the best way to state this. Um, it would be a recommendation to approve the resolution, the salary resolution as presented. So I, uh, I move that we recommend this, uh, the revised salary range and titles contained in the attached resolution. I second that. Okay, roll call please, Mr. Harrington. Councilor Herman? Aye. Councilor Bronson? Aye. Councilor West? Aye. Councilor Rocca? Aye. Mayor Jones? Aye. Item 7B is a resolution amending the fee schedule for Ocean View Cemetery and Aquatic Center. So the Parks and Recreation Department charges for fees to assist in cost recovery of their departmental operations. And the department's budgeted cost recovery for fiscal year 2018 and 19 is 44%. Uh, this is a recovery rate of nearly double the national average for parks departments. So um, what is being brought before you tonight are some changes uh, in uh, the fee resolution for the Aquatic Center and also Ocean View Cemetery, uh, which would align with some um, budget projections which are assumed in this next year's budget for the parks department. So the Aquatic Center changes are noted um, on the first through third page of the memorandum are highlighted there. Um, and then with the Ocean View Cemetery, there have been um, some fee increases which started in 2015 when the council amended the fee schedule for Ocean View Cemetery uh, for a 40% increase effective April 7, 2015 and then for June 30th, 2015, an additional 10% for that fiscal year, and it was intended that there would be a 10% increases um, through the year 2022. 
this is continuing the uh, the chain of increases uh, to be able to increase the rates um, yearly rather than have an exceedingly large rate increase all at once. And so this uh, proposal <coughs> follows the prior uh, direction uh, which had been uh, anticipated by earlier councils, but it's up to this council to determine whether or not uh, to move forward on this increase itself. It's recommended tonight that council consider and authorize the fee schedule edits in order to make the budgeting cost recoveries for the 2019-20 fiscal year. Well, as far as I can see, going through all the different fee adjustments, I don't have an issue with it. Um, they're fairly incremental and they're not across the board. Uh, and unless um, there's somebody out here in the audience who's looked at this and, and has some objection, I'm, I, don't, I think it's uh, just fine. And certainly the cemetery, well, both of them. So for instance, the, the cemetery, it basically we pay for it with fees and out of the general fund. We roughly, or you know, whatever about whatever the fees are more with, and I'm kind of well. Uh, no, no, I'm, I should say it's. You should say, probably say it's. It's paid maintenance of the cemetery. Uh, its revenue sources are uh, purchases of new plots, um, and paid and fees for service. Um, the um, money, um, the interest which is generated off of the irreducible fund. And then whatever is not made up is covered by the city's general fund. Yeah. Do you have any sense of how much of the general fund is going towards the relative to the overall expense of the cemetery? Don't this don't this don't have it. Yeah, don't have it. Okay. Yeah, because the, yeah. It really the cemetery is included in all of parks parks maintenance. Right. Yeah. And so parks maintenance includes maintenance of the cemetery and interest coming off the irreducible fund um, actually just goes in as a revenue. My, my point is basically that it's still a burden for the city. And you know, and I know that um, our parks director is working on with them going forward with the master plan and trying to find ways to uh, make it more manageable so that we can, short of Ted Ames doing all this work out there, be able to do more, uh, be more and better maintenance. And, uh, I just want to say, just for the fun of it, I'm going to bring it up at the county meeting again because I really feel strongly that this is the county cemetery, not the city cemetery. And the, in fact, I'd like to have a conversation with you maybe uh, tomorrow briefly just to talk about some ideas about uh, a way to present to the county and other cities um, maybe some ideas about cost sharing and how that, what that would look like if we were able to push something like that forward, maybe have a conversation with our parks director about that. So I'm, I'm serious, I'm, I'm really interested, because when it's been brought up before, it's been brought up and then everybody just kind of goes, eh, what I have to do with it? And it gets dropped immediately. Nobody's had a chance to really put a proposal of any sort about how it could work and how it could be manageable in a, a sort of cost sharing basis, on, instead of just being all county or something. So, if there's a path, uh, that yeah. way, that would be interesting to chat a little bit because Mayor Lemire um, had done some research on this last year. Yeah. So, I appreciate that. Um, but otherwise, I think this is great. I had a couple questions. 
Um, Tim, do we know how our cemetery rates, all of them compare with other cemeteries around the nation? Well, this process that we've been doing with the master plan has really opened our eyes to where we stand with other agencies across across the country, actually, and, and especially in this this part of the country. And we're very competitive right now. We're still just a little bit lower than most of the cemeteries in, the, in this region, but uh, we're just incrementally getting there. We're okay. So even when the rate, as the rates are raised. We'll still be right in there as far as prices go. That, that's correct, yes. Well, I do want to congratulate the department on the 44% recovery, which is about double the national average. That's outstanding. I don't know how you guys do it. A more general question um, has to do with the aquatic center. And I'm always concerned that families who can't afford to go there aren't kept out. And I know the Parks Department has a scholarship program um, does that have enough funds to provide access for everyone who needs it? Well, let me, let me start with that. The, the city does not have a scholarship program. Oh, so we, the we, Parks we, Foundation. Right, right. So, okay. so at one point in time, the city of Astoria uh, budgeted money uh, to provide scholarships. However, um, several years ago, um, that was, uh, was started to be funded by the Parks Foundation as a way that those funds that used to be budgeted, you know, from city of Astoria funds got to go towards park maintenance and, and okay. be able to address the care of the, right. and so, so that was really when the Parks Foundation got strong enough to where they were able to generate enough revenue to be able to put on this uh, and to be able to fund this. That was a win-win for, um, community but also a win for the city for not having sure. to pay those funds. I'll let maybe uh, um, Mr. Williams talk a little bit more about the the program itself the with the foundation and what they do. Yes so, so just the, this past weekend we had the run on the river which is 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 provided through the foundation and they raised nearly $30,000 for scholarships uh, to be given and 90% of those scholarships are for families and people that need that assistance at, at the swimming pool. So it's a, it, they're a great resource for us. They're a nonprofit, so uh, we're not really taxing any of the, the citizens in the community. It's, it's done through fundraising and, and, uh, and those types of efforts. I'm just curious, do you know if uh, scholarships are available for every, every family that qualifies or who reaches out and requests some assistance? Yes, we, we, we've been successful in that. Okay, great. Thank you. Anyone else? What can we have a motion? Well, I will move that we uh, pass the resolution amending the fee schedule for Ocean View Cemetery and the Aquatic Center. Uh, sure. Uh, roll call, Ms. Brooks, please. Councilor Herman? Aye. Councilor Brownson? Aye. Aye. Council Rocket? Aye. And Mayor Jones? Aye. Item 7C is a public hearing for three community development contractor contracts. So the community development department is utilizing the services of planning consultants over the past years to assist in maintaining service delivery as well as to assist in completion of special planning projects. So Robin Schletsky of Urban Lens Planning has been working on a number of planning projects and land division applications, more uh, permit types of, uh, of work. 
And Mike Morgan of Holland Morgan Incorporated has been working to assist on the day-to-day -day planning activities and assisting in development of the Uniontown Reborn Project, as well as expansion of the Maritime Memorial. Rosemary Johnson has been working on a number of code amendments uh, currently in process and also uh, was the uh, project manager for the Doughboy Restoration Project for uh, the Parks Department under this contract. So their contracts need to be extended with updated not to exceed dollar amounts and staff strongly believes it's the best interest of the city to process a contract amendment for these planning consultants. In order to directly appoint them, the city council will need to approve an exemption from the competitive solicitation requirements of the city code after holding a public hearing. Um, I would note that this is actually an item where our city code is more restrictive than state statute. Um, this is a, an item, part of our own purchasing code, that um, our public works director, Jeff Harrington, and our city attorney, uh, Blair Henningsgaard, have been working to look at maybe some revisions to bring to you in the future to bring our code more in line with state uh, process to where this type of uh, procedure is not required. Um, basically, our code just has not been updated in a number of years as dollar amounts and inflation um, is, uh, is uh, rising the price of, uh, of work for uh, this, type of, uh, of this type of labor. So uh, what is provided to you in your staff report is a draft set of findings uh, for the competitive solicitation requirements for all three of these contractors. And so uh, it's recommended that council conduct a public hearing for the purpose of taking public comments on the findings for exemption and adopt the findings that authorize the direct appointment of contract amendments for city planning services with Robin Schletzky doing business as Urban Lens Planning LLC to increase the contract amount uh, $15,000 to a total of $45,000. Mike Morgan doing business as Holland Morgan Incorporated to increase the contract amount to $25,001 to the total amount of $75,000. And Rosemary Johnson to increase the contract amount $75,000 to a total amount of $175,000. Um, I would note that uh, within uh, the next uh, fiscal year's budget, uh, there was an additional um, amount in contract services for additional contract work. Uh, the exact dollar amount of, of which each one of these consultants would uh, work uh, would be managed by the community development director. Um, but uh, was, you know, the, the specific uh, projects are, are to be uh, to be determined and to be managed uh, by that director. All right, well, now open the public hearing. Is there anyone in the public who would like to make a comment? Please, just come to the podium and state your name and address, please, and you'll have three minutes. Karen Mimi, 909 Florence, Astoria, Oregon. It may be mute, it may be too late, but I'd like to address item A, which was already, I think in my opinion, passed by the council. So Mr. Mayor, if I may go on the record. And you, you can make a comment, but the item hasn't passed, as you noted, but feel free to make a comment. Okay, well, I'll be very short. Um, as a taxpayer in Clatsop County, I have concerns about increasing the salary for the community development director. 
for two reasons. One, it may snowball, with all respect to department heads, it increases in salary for other city positions, as Brett has already noted. And two, you have a very qualified candidate that has already created the city's current salary for the community development director, thereby not increasing by $5,000. Further, this candidate, in my mind, is more qualified with experience in strategic planning, visioning, experience in economic development, and experience in community consensus building. And as you guys know, this is a critical time in Astoria's future, and this is a very critical position. And as a partner in an architectural firm, of over 500 people, we always hire up. So in my opinion, I just want to make sure that the council has considered both candidates and their qualifications for this position and done their due diligence. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Is there anyone who would like to speak to item 7C? Public hearing is now closed. Council discussion. May I respond to what Karen just said, or should I wait? I would suggest perhaps not. Okay. I, it would be more of a general comment, though, about raising a salary to keep it competitive, rather than addressing the two candidates. Go ahead, Council. Okay, thank you. Um, because I thought a lot about, you know, yeah, that effect that if we raise the salary for one department head, we really need to do it for all um, but that essentially was planned anyway and budgeted, um, not for all, but for at least two more, I believe, um, uh, the finance director and the public works director, if I'm remembering our conversation correctly. Um, but as you yourself said, Karen, we, this person, whoever is hired, hopefully one of them will be hired, I don't know, because the council isn't really involved in the process. It's the city manager's um, responsibility and so we're we're on the outside um, but regarding the position itself it has a tremendous amount of responsibility and our city is at a very crucial point in its history I believe and you do and many others do um, we would be pennywise pound foolish not to pay this person whoever it is even if somebody has already agreed to a certain price, um, what is competitive. Our city deserves it. Um, it's a modest increase, it's, I don't know, 6%. So we want to get the very best that we can, obviously, as, you, as I know you want us to. So regarding, uh, we've, had, we've opened and closed the public hearing. <laughs> For the findings for exemptions from the competitive solicitation requirements, and are there any other council comments on the sentence? I, I would just say that I think we've gotten Yeoman's um, work on these consultants uh, until now, and uh, uh, basically we're asking them to stay on. It's, it seems appropriate that we do this. Okay. And they have a great local knowledge, which I really appreciate. Yeah, um, I just want a little, clar little clarity on this. So this is just to, um, this, these additional funds will be managed by our future community development 
assessment director based on need, not necessarily that we're going to pay them all this money, but right. based on need over time. This just gives the fund money available to go forward, and right. then we'll be dealt with that. Yeah, and, 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 and I should say, I mean, there, it may be the community development director, but for instance, um, Mr. Williams is managing the uh, Maritime Memorial expansion, uh, which is uh, that Mr. Morgan is working on. So this is these are we've been able to use consultants over the years to be able to take on special projects whenever they arise, and these are particularly um, Mr. Morgan and Ms. Johnson have been ones that have been uh, multidisciplinary, who have worked for other departments other than you know, just community development, uh, but also parks, and there have been times when there's been work done with the public works department as well. Okay, thanks. I just want to say I'm really grateful that we've been able to have these services of these three planners, especially Rosemary, who's really um, got the institutional knowledge, if anyone does. Um, <coughs> she's worked really, really hard over the past year, as, as have all of them, but especially Rosemary. And as during my short stint on the Planning Commission, I got to see all three of them in action, and they're all really competent professional planners. So we're fortunate to, have, to be able to use their services. So what language? Yeah, so what we just need to have is a motion uh, to uh, adopt the findings for exemption from the competitive solicitation um, process and adopt those findings and authorize direct appointment of the contracts noted in the staff report. So moved. Second. Second. All right, all in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Item 7D is the uh, building inspection IGA. So uh, as was noted in the uh, the synopsis memo for this agenda item uh, when the packet was produced there was still negotiations going for an intergovernmental intergovernmental agreement for building official services with the city of Cannon Beach and this was being done as our current building official and code enforcement officer Tony Clifton has taken a job elsewhere and his last day is tomorrow the uh, Intergovernmental agreement is going to be able to provide uh, what is uh, going to include building official uh, capacity, which is required uh, to meet our requirements with the state of Oregon, as well as provide uh, building official, excuse me, building inspection services uh, here in Astoria and some uh, some uh, code review, some project plan review for the building department. Um, Mr. Clifton has also agreed uh, to uh, have a contract with him separately to be able to have some continuity on some of the plan review projects that have been going on. So he'll be doing that remotely um, through a separate contract um, and uh, will be able to assist uh, during this time of transition. His future employer has agreed to this to be able to allow for uh, some uh, some transition to be able to occur. So uh, intergovernmental green agreements under the city's charter come to the city council. And so what is being brought before you is an IGA uh, between the city of Cannon Beach and uh, the city of Astoria. 
And we have intergovernmental agreements already in place with uh, Clatsop County. Um, and it's for uh, reciprocal um, services, meaning if they need some kind of assistance, we can provide it to them. If we need some assistance, um, they can go uh, do it. It's just right now, um, Clatsop County does not have the capacity to take on any additional work Cannon Beach does. And so uh, we're looking at establishing a new intergovernmental agreement with uh, the city of Cannon Beach to be able to provide these services in the intro. And this has been provided to you um, tonight. We have paper copies uh, here uh, before you. Thank you. Council discussion? Yeah, this seems like a, a sound idea to me under any circumstances. Uh, it's it, building inspection has been this consistent between the cities. And right. so we don't have a run up period or anything like that to be able to for cities to be able to assist one another in this way, this makes sense. Anything else? Well, I'm just curious, how long do you anticipate the hiring process? Well, the position's first review uh, is this coming Wednesday, where we're going to uh, take a look at the applicants uh, to determine how many viable candidates our HR uh, staff will go and take a look at do they meet the class, the, the requirements and whether or not we need to continue the posting to see if we need to gather more individuals and do marketing. Okay. So um, I would like to be able to say that we'll have someone in within the next month, month and a half. However, um, we know that right now, um, building officials are in short supply. Right, I remember you saying that at a previous meeting. Yeah, I'd just like to point out too, that, so this is an ex a great example of when the rulemaking came down at the state about third-party contracting yes. for inspectors, that would, if that was being upheld, we would not be able to do this. We would have to go to the state for or something. No, actually, actually, when actually, it's here's um, because we are working with another governmental entity. Oh, okay. We're covered under this. The I will note that when Mr. Clifton had uh, provided his notice he was leaving. Um, I contacted the building codes division um, and uh, asked for information about whether we could use third party contractors. Um, what they, they provided me with a legal brief, um, which I provided to our interim city attorney, uh, who while well, Mr. Hingsgard was away and, and I will tell you that it is not clear to this date. Okay. Um, and so we definitely went the route um, of looking at contract or, or having an intergovernmental agreement rather than hiring a third party entity. Those companies are still in existence. Um, however, there appears to be um, still um, some issues that maybe the building codes division is, is taking. And rather than get in the middle of all that, right. Um, we went the route of having um, an IGA with the government. Yeah, I stopped following that. I, 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 that, I just thought maybe they had resolved, but that was for a third party, independent contractors. Right. It was advised by Mr. Mr. Stellman, who was in the last uh, meeting, too. Yeah. Probably if we could get an IGA, it was probably the, the cleaner thing to do. Um, and luckily, um, you know, we were able to work with the capacity. Thanks. Okay, we have a motion then. 
I move we approve the intergovernmental agreement with Canada Beach. I'll second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Okay, that concludes the regular agenda. Are there any members of the public who have uh, any comments tonight about any other topic? Please. You know the routine, Chris. Sit with you. Oh, yeah. Good evening. Chris Hayes here, 687th Street. Um, I would just like to thank the city for their actions of uh, making certain changes um, behind the American Legion building. Um, those changes have really helped mitigate a lot of noise that's traveled up the hill. And as you know, the topography of that story is shaped a lot like an amphitheater. So um, it's really um, helped um, a lot of people in the neighborhood with um, um, a calmness in the evening. And it's nice to have that back, so thank you. Thanks for the feedback, I'm glad it made a difference. Are there any other comments? Any councilor comments? I would just say that uh, back east we traveled through Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and Hampshire, Maine, uh, and saw some very nice things. But uh, like Dorothy said, there's no place like home. <laughs> On that note, we're adjourned.